There are now so many conspiracies being investigated on January the 6th, it's been called a hub-and-spoke conspiracy. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting tonight's investigation. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com forward slash zev. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash zev. Start living a better life today. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live on a Wednesday night. It's good to have Joe Dempsey back here with us because, boy, every time I look at one of your threads, my mind, just, I just don't get it because it's so many bits and pieces <laughs> and there's so many cases. And I'm glad you're here because I want you to really explain to everyone tonight how important this case is, the January 6th case. It's the biggest case in DOJ history. It's by far, it's the most sprawling case you've ever seen. Hundreds and hundreds of people involved in it. And it's uh, the most important, uh, certainly for American democracy, as we look at the challenge that has given to our electoral system here. So it is uh, you know, a vast and important case. And you're one of the few people who knows how it all comes together. So tonight, we're going to do the big picture. We're going to take all these different pieces and see how they fit together and explain why everything is so important, but also how vast this conspiracy is. It's pretty big, Zev. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to have you here. When do you think it all started, Joe? Actually, I'm kind of curious about, I was going to say months earlier on, and I was like, maybe it's not even months. Maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's even years. I do think it's, it's years in the making. I think that, you know, things kind of came to a head probably April of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that years before that foundation was laid, I mean, you've got connections that go back years. You've got connections to like guys like Patrick Byrne that, you know, that we probably, you know, haven't heard a lot of, but probably will in the future Mm -hmm. had connections. Rand Paul and Rand Paul, you know, had obvious connections to Ron Paul, his father, and the whole libertarian movement. And I think, you know, things go back even to 2009 with Stuart Rhodes. And, and that's when the Oath Keepers kind of came on the scene. And then, you know, 2011, 2012, you've got Amy Kramer and Michelle Bachman, and you've got people, you know, dealing Sarah with Palin. Um, Sarah Palin. I mean, you've yeah. got all, all sorts of things happening over the years. And I think those types of things that, you know, uh, built what we've been witnessing. I certainly think that, you know, we look at the foundation of all of this, you have to go back to the Tea Party. And that's certainly, certainly where it all starts. And that takes you back to Rand and Ron Paul, which, you know, seem like somewhat fringe figures in American politics, but it's certainly their influence that led us to the insurrection and led us to even the the Trump presidency. Without that, I don't think we would have got there without the Tea Party and without uh, the polls. You know, you, there's a pretty good through line through the Tea Party. I mean, Mark Meadows, you know, as part of that, he was getting awards for his obstructionism against Obama from Tea Party leaders. You've got Tea Party patriots from Jenny Beth Martin. And, and you know, just it is vast. It's wide. It involves hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. Who knows? It could be even a couple of thousand people. And it involves a lot of money that came from still unknown places. That's one of the big questions that we still do yeah. not know completely is who funded all of this. I mean, we sort of know, you know, the key players who got buses and and shipped people to the insurrection, but that's not really the funding we're talking about. We're talking about years and years of funding that have gone into, you know, the Council for National Policy that have gone into supporting all these fringe groups and allowing the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys to flourish. I mean, that takes money. People don't do that on their own. Maybe they do, but it seems to me like there's a lot of money involved in that. 
Yeah, it takes a lot of money. And I think, you know, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse has been, you know, screaming from the rooftops about mm-hmm. dark money for years now. There's a, a video that he put together or actually, you know, there's video of him of a presentation he did in front of the Senate, which goes into a lot of the dark money and things that he was talking about. And if you watch him say it, he's not saying it from the perspective of a politician. He's saying it from the perspective of simply being an American. Mm-hmm. This is wrong. Look at the money. We don't know who's funding these things. We don't know where the money is coming from. Citizens United was a terrible decision. And the court is packed with people who are making decisions similar to Citizens United and wanted it. Yeah. So, you know, to sort of hide what's been going on, it's something that we're going to have to deal with, you know, in the future. Without a doubt, this is not something that we've been able to unpack. And I think it's still going on today. I mean, we, you know, you look at what the gaslighting going on, these racist laws that are being passed everywhere. What we're seeing in America is two different Americas developing. And one of those Americas is is a America that's that its origins come out of the Tea Party. They come out of a, a very fringe, or, you know, some would say like extreme point of view. And so we're seeing laws that I can't believe the laws that are being passed that are they're just so, so blatantly racist, like the ones in Florida. It's just shocking. I just it's it's shocking. And unfor- unfortunately, it's becoming normalized because there's really, you know, they're just talking about it as though, hey, this is what's happening. Not that what's happening is wrong. Right. You know, just today, I mean, Senator Kennedy was making disparaging comments about, you know, the first black woman on the Supreme Court. The thing that just it churns my stomach, it's it really is disgusting when you're talking about, you know, just blatantly saying it's not fair to white people. Are are you kidding me? Like the Supreme Court has been nothing but white people. I mean, we've had a few black men on the court. You know, obviously, Clarence Thomas is there now. Mm -hmm. But the thing that that really gets me is this. Reagan said, I'm going to put a woman on the court. And Mm -hmm. Republicans were great with that. Everything was fine. They continue to deify Reagan. Mm -hmm. But to say, you know, Biden is wrong to say, let's put the first black woman on the court. Let's just look at what happened after Reagan put the first woman on the court. Do you know what occurred after that? More women got on the court. I Mm -hmm. think that's what they're really afraid of. The fact that if the first black woman gets on the court, more black women will get on the court. And I got news for you, Zev. It's black women that are going to help save this country. Oh, it really they have already. Is. They have already. I mean, have that's the reason why we every, have got every election. Every been, time they've yeah. been asked to do it, they've done it. Yeah. Every single time. Not only are they going to save, look, firstly, women in general are, I think, are going to save this country because that's what these men are ultimately afraid of. And you see these power structures. Right defending their old systems, it's because they're scared of what's happening around them, which is not just the black people that are coming around. It's the women, it's the gays, it's the it's an entire threat to the way they view the world and how it should be structured. That Those times are over. I mean, they're they clearly putting up a fight. That's They've decided to put up a fight. You know, they, they're on the losing end of that. And the sooner they realize that, the better off we will all be. I was going to talk a little bit about Jeff Zucker. I'm going to leave that to the end of the show because I don't want to interrupt this conversation because it's so interesting already. I am going to ask you to explain two things to me. When we look at, at uh, Jan 6th, the actual insurrection, thousands of people showing up, storming the Capitol. There's a lot of people involved in that. You know, there's people in the Wilbur Hotel where they're, you know, discussing all these things. Willard? Willard, sorry. Willard? <laughs> Willard Hotel. In the, in the Willard Hotel, the, you know, um, there's a war room there. You've got all this kind of legal activity going on. But there is this whole other thing that was happening on a state level, which I think is so intriguing and so interesting and, and far more incriminating in many ways than what was going on at the Willard and at, uh, at the insurrection itself, because it involved actual 
law that they were trying to subvert. And it's the, these fake slate of electors that were being appointed by who knows, who knows who decided they, they were. Um, so I want to go through that with you and just, can you explain the two, why these two things are separate, but then also why they're connected? Yeah, I think, you know, you've got a moment in January 6th where you have people, you know, taking advantage of and you're seeing it in their defenses now in the court system. A lot of the the January 6th defendants now are saying, you know, I got caught up in the moment, you know, I was there and then, you know, things got out of hand and I kind of got caught up in it. Mm -hmm. So the ones that stormed it, you know, aside from the Proud Boys, aside from the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters and those types I think they used the people to sort of, you know, help build the crowd, right? I mean, they had this large crowd that was there. And those people are, you know, they're getting home confinement as their sentences. They're getting fines, things along those lines. But again, they're saying, I just got caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. Give, just uh, back up there and talk about Sidney Powell and uh, the, what was happening insidiously on the lawyer side. So Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and those guys were sort of, you know, they were looking for affidavits. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a whole series of folks that were trying to solicit affidavits. And Sidney Powell was literally a person who solicited an affidavit and said, you know, I want this affidavit from a specific person. And, and affidavits and about there being fraud. In uh, the affidavits election. about fraud. That's okay. right. Affidavits about things that they had seen, whether they were poll workers or, you know, things that they had seen during the election, you know, whether or not somebody was able to stand six feet from the ballot counting or, you know, what, whatever their cases were. All the cases, for the most part, got thrown out because they didn't have any evidence. They didn't have standing, you know, those type of things. So that's really what, what was going was on with this? those, those cases. And these, these were happening, I would say, uh, November, December timeframe mm-hmm. of 2020. Okay. So, so right after the elections, Trump says, hey, I didn't lose. It was all rigged. And they go into full motion. They were suddenly looking for affidavits around the country in various states, mostly swing states asking right. people to identify irregularities that they might have seen right. or make them up. Maybe they made up, right. who knows, who knows, they might have made it up. So I saw, I, I was, I ended up finding a presentation that was done in New Hampshire where they basically were telling people how to go out and canvas after the election, right? They were going out to people and sort of asking them if they had seen anything irregular, right? If there were any election irregularities and if there were, here's how you can get them to sign affidavits to state such. I'm just, I'm just going to show up this this first uh, picture from your thread here, which is which is one of these cases, right? This is in the yeah, United so this, States, in northern in the northern district of Georgia. That's right. So, so again, look at just the first off. Well, let, district isn't even spelled correctly. I know, this, I right? That. So, so that's how <laughs> that's how these cases were going. To give you any indication, district isn't even spelled correctly. All right. But what I've done here is I've I'm showing you who the plaintiffs in these cases are, and and mm-hmm. I'm going to say the these are the Kraken cases, right? So yeah. Sidney Powell had the Kraken, and everything was going to be. Explain know, that to everybody. I know we sort of have an idea of what it is. Although I'm not sure I do. But how do you, what do you view as Kraken? What do you what do you what are the I looked at the Kraken as, you know, from a a meme perspective, you know, unleash the Kraken, right? This Mm -hmm. mythical character that can, you know, go out and do whatever. And I think that what they were saying was this was going to be their ticket to overturning the election through a legal process by saying that, look at all this fraud that was occurring. And then they were suing people like the governors of the states and they were suing, you know, just to try to say, you know, let's get in front of a judge. So that's what the Kraken was a nationwide sort of, here's where we're going to put lawsuits, whether it be in Michigan, whether it be in Wisconsin or Georgia or Arizona, 
we're going to file lawsuits all over the place. Which when you think about it, he's very Trumpian. I mean, sort of this is the way Trump has done his business all the way through his life. You know, he'll sue everybody, threatens to sue everybody, tries to find his way through the legal system to win, even though he's not actually correct. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, it fits into his MO quite well. And Throw anything case, against the wall and see what sticks, yeah, you know? Yeah, which they, you know is fine, I guess, if you're doing business in New York. But, and maybe you've got a couple of judges in your pocket. But this is a whole different case when you're trying to subvert democracy. And it's interesting, the name here that stands out, of course, uh, Brad Raffsenberger, who was the conversation that Trump now famously had on the phone asking for 11,780 votes or whatever it was. You know, please find me those votes. We need to find those votes from somewhere. That happened with the same people, right? We're talking about the same right. uh, Secretary of, of State there, and then also That's Brian right. Kemp. That's right. Yes. And what we're seeing on this, if you look at the red underlined names that are here, mm -hmm. what's interesting about these, these are plaintiffs that were, if you look at the top, this was filed on 1125. Okay, so November 25th, this is when this case was filed in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Each of those names that are underlined are also Georgia's false slate of electors that signed documents on December 14th. This is your genius. Um, I've got to tell you, this is really your genius because I have, uh, when you posted this on, on your Twitter account, I was like, oh my God, he's cracked it. He's just cracked the whole thing. Because... <laughs> What's cracking? <laughs> yeah, let's crack it. Let's crack it, crack it. Because it's amazing. You know, this is so significant that these same people who are out there lying, basically, about the fraud on November last year in the elections are actually are actually the same people who then put themselves up to be the slate of electors, the false That's slate right. of electors. So it's, it's not like you need to look very hard for this continuity between, you know, Sidney Powell trying to do this in November and then these people showing up in in right. uh, January saying, "Hey, you know, with this slate of electors, it, it's all there. You can That's see right. the connectivity, and it's such a it's such an important piece of evidence yeah. that these are the same people, it's the same cast of characters. It's basically, I mean, I don't know, they're players. They're not um, they're actors. They fit one role at one point, and then a few months later, they're playing another role. But that's because they just have so many cast members." And, and it's not like they're random people, right? I mean, again, if you were to say, you know, this is, you know, as a voter, mm -hmm. I experienced voter fraud or I saw somebody vote twice or, you know, whatever your election irregularity happened to be, if you were just a random person, these aren't random people. These are GOP people. I mean, these are people high up in the Republican Party. They're, they're activists in the Republican Party. What this shows us is really the conspiracy, right? I mean, yeah. it's one thing showing up at, at January 6th and storming a building. Okay, that's a, that's definitely a crime. Terrible needs to be sorted out. But when you've got months and months of planning of fake lawsuits, of fake affidavits being submitted to various courts around the country, the Supreme Court weighing in, you've got all this evidence that this stuff actually was planned. We, we know that because it's all there. It's, they, they filed yeah. the lawsuits. And so you know that those same people are still there on January the 6th and they're still there demanding that they be counted as uh, electors at the same time as you've got this giant coup, this, you know, this violent insurrection happening outside. Now, both of those things were only happened because someone <laughs> at the very top made those two things happen. It's right. not possible that we don't have, you know, that we, we can't get to the, the conspiracy here without pointing that out. Like you, you have people doing the coup, the insurrection on one side, and then you have the people on the inside also really doing the coup, but they're doing it through the uh, through the legislative process. And, and I think what's important to a, a couple of things. One is I've heard Glenn Kirshner a couple of times talk about, you know, a conspiracy. And I think a lot of people say, well, we have this really large conspiracy. And I think Glenn Kirshner has it 100 percent correct. Mm -hmm. It's really many conspiracies. Mm -hmm. It's a hub and spoke conspiracy, right? right? At the center, you have one singular goal, and that's to keep Trump and 
And let's be honest, it's not just Trump in power, but Republicans in power. We have to remember that the Republicans helped him do this. This wasn't just him. He can't do this by himself. No, I don't think now, he did. I don't know if he did very much. I might have ordered them to do it, but yeah. he's not capable of organizing this kind of, of scale and, of event. And the second part, and, and to bring it sort of back a little bit more to the direct line of conspiracy, if you mm. look back to Georgia, those electors remember the Jeffrey Clark letter was to Georgia talking about, you know, hey, you guys might want to pick your own electors if you want to. So tell me, so tell me a little have, bit more about that. Tell me why, why that's so significant, because it is very significant, and I just want everyone to understand it. Sure. So, so Jeffrey Clark was working for the Department of Justice and he drafted this letter that, you know, basically was laying a foundation in Georgia to have an alternate slate of electors, um, be chosen by the state legislature. So he went and, and he, he made, you know, arguments that were similar to what we saw in the John Eastman memo, mm-hmm. um, in terms of what the powers of the vice president were, um, things along, you know, basically referring to the 12th amendment, you know, that gives, you know, certain powers to the states to count and, and to, um, do elections and, and to send electors. Right. So let's, let's pause there because that is another spoke, right? I mean, you've right. got Jeffrey Clark testified today, I think, in front of, of the yeah. committee. And uh, we don't know very much what he said. I think he played the fifth a few thousand times, maybe. Um, that is what I heard because, wow. you know, this is a guy from the DOJ, right? I mean, we're yeah. not talking about um, Joe Schmo in the street. We're talking about a guy right. who knows the law. He was going to be, if Trump would have had his way, the attorney general. I mean, right. this is, you know, that's how close he was to the very top of power here. And he, he and- was one signature away from being the attorney general yeah. because, you know, he was talking with acting attorney general Rosen mm-hmm. and basically almost kind of strong arming him at, at one point um, saying, you know, look, if this doesn't happen, you know, I, I'm going to be named. You know, if you don't, if you don't do it, it'll be me. So that's a third you know, let's talk about Hubbard and Spoke. That's the third spoke. Let's call that the DOJ spoke, right? That's sure. where uh, Trump was trying to internally create a confusion in uh, in the Department of Justice and overthrow the people who were there and, in fact, install his own attorney general who could then execute whatever he needed to from a legal perspective in terms of how to get this insurrection slash coup yeah. going. Yeah. Bard left at that point and... Um you know, you, you've got Rosen that's there and now you've got Clark who's kind of, I mean, where did he come from? You know, how did he get introduced? Who was responsible for bringing Jeffrey Clark on, on board? Right. Um, but you know, that whole story and his testimony, he, he testified already. He had already had one appearance in front of the January 6th committee where he had walked out. You know, the story that we heard was, you know, oh, Jeffrey Clark was not willing to answer questions in his appearance with the January 6th committee. So he and his attorney just left. That's not even close to true. He mm. actually was there and had there's a 50 page transcript of exactly what was said in that hearing. I did a thread on that as oh, well, and I'll, I'll actually post it. That's a good one to this. Yeah, please do. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'll post you know, our, it after this. Our friend uh, Gal Suburban, uh, just in the chats here, is saying that he installed someone in the Civil Rights Division. She just discovered last night. That's where Clark came from, the Civil Rights Division. Okay, that's, 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 that is Clark. Okay. Wow, it's interesting so. that he came from there. I miss, and then, uh, no, uh, maybe, else. maybe not. Let me read what she's saying. J. Christian Adams, partner of Cleta Mitchell. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, oh that is interesting. Yeah, yeah that's, that's different. Uh, you know, the thing is, during the whole Trump administration, what was happening was people were being installed in positions they had no right to be in. Um, and they were partisan. I mean, they're partisan hacks. They were designed to do what Donald Trump wanted them to do. And, you know, frankly, they didn't get enough people in enough place in time, but they were pretty close. 
I mean, yeah. these things are just so close. Like, you know, Clark was so close to being the attorney general, that would have changed a lot of the situation. And Pence said, okay, I'll do this. I'll do your thing. Let me follow your, your instructions here and, and say that these slate of electors aren't accurate. That would have changed everything. I mean, you know, yeah. all these things are so close. They're like one person away from the end of democracy right. at each step of the way. At each step of the way, it's one person away. You're absolutely right. And as we started to see some of like the career people getting pushed out, moved on, mm-hmm. um, it started to become more and more dangerous because as you keep going down the layers, then you're getting the true believers, the ones who will do whatever he asks. Yeah, exactly. and, and at that stage, then you're really in, in a danger zone. And it's happening on the state level now, too. So people should really not think this is over because there is a sense I get uh, first people are sort of like, let's get back to ordinary life. Let's just get back to normal. And we will have to kind of feel a little bit more normal. But the attack on democracy is continuing. We are yes. still in the middle of a full scale attack. I mean, half the country is ruled in an autocratic system by yeah. autocratic one party rule. That's really what's going on in the middle of the country. And we need to, uh, that needs to end if we're ever going to save democracy fully in America. We'll be right back with more narrative in just a minute. Wouldn't life be better if you knew you had a therapist you could message at any time? A therapist available to you at the end of your phone? A therapist to help you with any issue from your relationships to your family to anger and grief or even self-esteem? Better help is the world's largest therapy platform making professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. When you join BetterHelp, you'll be assigned your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. Your sessions with your trusted therapist take place in a safe and private online environment. You don't need to drive anywhere or sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, and no one but you and your therapist needs to know. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So if you don't like your counselor, no problem. It's free and easy to switch counselors if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is also available. Anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash zev. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's BetterHelp. B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Zev, for 10% off your first month. Thank you, BetterHelp. Um, I'm going to go to your next, uh, where am I going to next? Well, that was Georgia. Let's go to, this is also Georgia, so this is the same one. Uh, I'm going to throw this up and you tell me what this is. And uh, this is the same thing? or is This a, this, this is Michigan. So, is so Michigan. in Michigan, yep, so in Michigan, the ones, again, um, this was the same day, so eleven twenty-five, right? Mm-hmm. So the same day as they filed in Georgia, they filed interesting. in Michigan. Interesting. Um, they were able to spell district correctly this time, which was kudos <laughs> to them. But did they? Um, they got, they didn't get the districts <laughs> wrong in one of these. I think in in uh, what's it? I think in Wisconsin they got they copied. Was it maybe it was Michigan? They they, they in, took the in, districts from the wrong from the wrong state and and put them in the wrong case. I think that's right too. Yeah, yeah I remember that too. And the other one in Georgia, they spelled district. Uh, wrong twice on the same page, <laughs> two different ways. Kraken, Kraken, Kraken. So these are the Michigan electors, and actually, they spelled district wrong on this one too. Uh, they spelled it right once and wrong on the second line. But yeah, these are the electors in Michigan, and the false same electors. So these same two people, Timothy King, or oh, three people, more people. Timothy King, Marianne Ellen Sheridan. John yep. Earl Haggard, these guys were Those all three. fake slate of electors that had submitted That's their right. names as being the official slate of electors because we decided in to the to the January the sixth um, 
accounting register which took and, place and in remember the, yeah. and remember that was done on december 14th so here they are showing up november 25th mm -hmm. unbelievable this is prior to them becoming false electors they were named as plaintiffs right. in these lawsuits right that's what I was by sydney powell and these are sydney powell's you know and Sydney Powell, Plaintiffs. by the way, who is Sydney Powell? Because I, uh, you know, she's a fascinating creature. Um, and Sydney Powell is also is very attached at the hip to Rudy Giuliani throughout this whole process. But yeah. she's also, you know, we have to remember she's the Michael Flynn attorney. She's Mike the uh, person who somehow got Michael Flynn off his charges. Right. Some miracle move that she pulled off there. Uh, her history is pretty checkered. I mean, she's not, I wouldn't hire her as a lawyer. Her view of the law is pretty weird, to say the least. And here she is organizing an entire conspiracy. And then, of course, on December 18th, I think, which would have been you know, three weeks after they'd filed these lawsuits, they show up at the White House, all of them, Flynn and Sidney Powell and a whole bunch of others, and you know, talk about what's going on on January 6th, actually plan that insurrection, talk about how they're going to execute that uh, right. with Donald Trump. So you can see how these pieces all just fit in. You know, you've got the, uh, the insurrection happening outside. You've got the legal Kraken cases happening as well at the same time. Then they try to, to go to the White House and talk the president into it. The president agrees to do it. And then they, um, and then they proceed to do it. I mean, that's just, a, you look, that looks like a conspiracy. It just looks like a yeah. conspiracy. It looks like a planned event. It's not, and, it's not something that the, you just make up. And they weren't there just to talk about, you know, those things. They were literally there talking about Flynn wanted fighters. And the other thing was seizing voting machines. Which so is this, this whole, it really is interesting. And the question becomes, why and how did this come to be, right? How did Dominion become the target? How is it that that became their sort of thing they were going to hang their hat on? So that's a story I think we still need to understand. Mm -hmm. Why was it that, that it wasn't ESNS, let's say, right? Why, so is, a, why, why was it Dominion? Why do you think it was that? I, I think I, I have, this is opinion, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to tell you what I think here. Mm -hmm. There was a case in... Um, there was a, a, an affidavit filed by a guy named Joe Altman. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the affidavits, and that's the one that Sidney Powell solicited. Long story short, I'll go very quickly through this. Mm. Joe Altman is from Colorado Springs, Colorado. He has his own podcast called the Conservative Daily Podcast. Mm -hmm. He stated that he was on an Antifa call, right? That's, that's what he called it, and quote unquote Antifa call. Right. And in that call, he heard somebody from, you know, somebody named Eric from Dominion. Okay. And in that call, he heard Eric from Dominion say, Trump's not going to win. I made sure of it. Right. Now, they take that information and extrapolate from that, that Eric, the person on the, uh, uh, on the thing, Joe Oldman says, who's Eric? So he goes and starts Googling and, and looks it up. And he finds that there's a guy named Eric Coomer who works for Dominion Systems, mm -hmm. and he starts, you know, basically saying it was him. Eric Coomer went in and he he designed the software or he, you know, had uh, the ability to change the outcome of the election in some way through the Dominion voting systems. That story gets out, okay? This phone call happens in September. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to, I believe- Allegedly was, happens. Do we know it actually happened? Allegedly, allegedly happens. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Let's, let, we'll, we'll say allegedly happens. Yeah. And again, we don't know who that person Eric was. No. You know, it could be Eric, and we just don't know. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to October, where Altman is on a elk hunting trip in Colorado. Okay. Right. He's out there hunting elk. And he gets a text message from somebody. And that message, you know, includes a, a, an attachment. He reads the attachment and starts to think to himself, hey, wait a second. 
I remember this phone call that I was on in September and I'm putting the two things together. And now I know that this is a story that I need to tell. So he starts saying, I have to get this story out about, you know, what I'd heard Eric from Dominion. There's voter fraud. This whole election is, is a scam now because Dominion voting systems ha- has this ability to change votes from Trump to Biden. And that's the story that he's putting out there. That's so interesting. I, I think it has to do with there, There's a lot to it. And I have a thread on this as okay. well. So don't, don't worry. I can send that okay. information out as well. In this, um, in this narrative, if you will, mm. it gets to Michelle from Newsmax. And she's used on like um, Fox. She would sub, sometimes sub in for Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. She gets a text message about, you know, hey, there's this Joe Oakman. There's this story out there. What do you think? She ends up doing a story on it. The Gateway Pundit ends up getting the information. They do a story on it. Sidney Powell gets wind of it. And she says, get me an affidavit from Joe Oakman. Joe Oltman writes the affidavit, sends it over, and that becomes really foundational, uh, I believe, right. for these Kraken lawsuits. So Joe Oltman, we don't know. I mean, his credibility is probably, you know, maybe a little questionable. But we also, when I think about the Dominion voting machines, I think about where they were used. And, you know, if you were trying to subvert elections in swingy states, uh, I think when you look at the distribution of the Dominion voting machines, they were in places that were more prone to being rigged. In other words, they were looking for places that they could question. That's the basis on which they did that Dominion versus the ESNS. I might be wrong, but that's just a theory. It's possible. And I just want to be very clear to your viewers and everyone else. The information that I'm talking about here all is derived from a court case called Eric Coomer versus mm-hmm. Donald Trump et al. And others are in there and they've all Produce Rudy Giuliani produced a deposition. Sidney Powell was deposed in this. Gateway pundits Jim Hoff was uh, deposed. Chanel Ryan, Michelle Malkin, a lot of people were deposed. And all that information, I, I can link uh, to this as well. Great. That'll be very helpful to people. But the machines are important. So just to get everyone back into the, the headspace of where we're at. So we've got, we've got a, a Kraken effort to try and get affidavits that includes this discovery of these Dominion machines, this, these voting machine and the rigging allegations around that. Then we've got the uh, actual coup happening outside, the actual insurrection, thousands of people showing up. You've got the plan, which was brought to Donald Trump on the, I think it was the 25th, maybe the 18th of 18th. December. 18th of December. Hard to keep all this straight. And then um, you've got this false state of electors, which is a, uh, a whole other thing. So that takes us to, uh, where are we next? Here? This is the Wisconsin slate I think I'm going to look at now. You tell me what this is. Um, okay, so what are we looking at here? This was the, the lawsuit in Wisconsin. This is Kelly Ra. She's a false elector in Wisconsin. But if you look the highlighted portion down below, you'll see who brought that case is a special counsel for the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What, what is so, that, why is so, that significant? So what's interesting about that is you've got folks um, that are, uh, there's a guy named Phil Klein. Mm. And he was with the Amistad Project and he shows up in Pennsylvania Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, you know, vote irregularities and, and ballots being lost in Pennsylvania. And you also have their lead investigator for, for these cases, uh, was a guy named Tony Schaefer. Mm-hmm. Tony Schaefer was the head of, I believe, uh, it was, was part of intelligence, um, and was part of the London, uh, I'm sure Gal Suburban knows what it is, but I can't remember that right off the top of okay. my head. 
Hopefully she'll tell us in a second. I want to talk a little bit about Pennsylvania because for me, all roads lead to Pennsylvania. I mean, it just seems to me that that's where a lot of the action was going on throughout this whole period of time. We've had people like Everett Stern on the show, who's a candidate for the Senate in, was a candidate. I don't know if he's still running. Yeah, I think Uh, he is. He's still running. Oh, that's good. Maybe he'll get elected. Hopefully he does. The, you know, he's a good standing Republican who basically blew the whistle on what was going on. And he describes a situation where, you know, where Flynn and company, including a guy named Ivan Reichlin, were involved a scheme in order to convince local state legislators to audit the votes in those states. So it's another whole part of this. It's connected to these false state of electors, but it's another scheme. Um, it's another and, and the other thing we know about Pennsylvania is that that was the sort of the home base of at least a part of the Russian influence campaign that you know we've discussed on this show endlessly. But there's a lot going on in Pennsylvania. But tell us what happened in terms of the state of electors there. In Pennsylvania, they actually sort of hedged their bet. They don't, I don't believe that they sent any uh, slate of false electors in Pennsylvania. I think they had, or either that or they had changed the language in the false documents that they provided to allow for some wiggle room to say, hey, if by chance, you know, things go the way things, you know, they want them to, these will be our electors, but they're not our electors. There were three states that did have that out language, which is going to protect them, I believe. But yeah, I believe um, it was Nevada, Pennsylvania, and New Mexico. Right. But then there is also this, which I find kind of fascinating, that on this, uh, in this is Pennsylvania, I think still, that uh, yeah. this Lou Barletta yes. is on right. here. And Lou Barletta uh, is running for governor, I believe, in Pennsylvania. This is happening a few times when you look at these, these guys are actually still standing for office. Can you believe it? They're still, you know, not only are they trying to overthrow the government, they're still standing for office. It's, uh, it's kind of- Well, again, I think that sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the sense that, you know, people may not know this, right? People may not even be aware that these are what, you know, they may be just hearing what his, you know, stump speeches may be. I don't think he's going to tell everybody what he's been up to. But, you know, people need to know in terms of, you know, having good representation, we need an educated electorate and we need to, you know, have people understand exactly what these candidates are doing. Andrea is saying here, and I'm not sure if this is, uh, is accurate, but she's saying that uh, Jen Cohen says that they wanted to get rid of the Dominion machine so they can replace them with ES and S, which were more hackable. That's interesting. So they yeah. were targeting Jen- districts in specific that were related to yeah. that. It's interesting. Okay. <laughs> I think, believe it's Jenny Cohn one is just fantastic. If you mm-hmm. look at her threads, they are uh, immaculate. They're well-sourced and they're just fascinating. A lot of information, especially around uh, ES&S voting machines in Kentucky, mm-hmm. which gave you Mitch McConnell, who had a 38% approval rating and got elected. And in South Carolina, ES&S was there when uh, Lindsey Graham wasn't very popular either. And right. he got reelected. Right. Uh, Gal Suburban, who's amazing and keeps providing this great information, says uh, that Bannon started pushing one of those voting machines companies in 2012, and it was something with a Y and an S and a T or something. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Um, and then she goes on to say about Altman, which I think is really interesting. The Altman thing sounds like it was done with Posobiec. Remember, he claimed to have infiltrated Antifa and wonder if Altman was working with Jack. Yeah. So in the depositions, Altman was reluctant to say who it was that actually got him on that phone call. I believe that the court ordered him to do so. You can, when you read the transcript, the lawyer is basically saying, so you're saying that you're going to violate the court's order and not tell me who it was. And Altman was adamant. He wasn't going to tell him who it was. I believe they ended up looking at the notes. Uh, There's notes uh, that Altman took from that phone call. I don't know how uh, anybody could identify from those notes who it may have been. But I also do think that 
at the very end of the um, position, there may have been like initials or how Oldman knew the name. Like, uh, it wasn't like I know who this person is. I just kind of know them by name, right. whatever that name happened to be. I don't know what that is. You know, at the heart of this is incredible amounts of corruption and a, a cancer within our democratic system. I mean, we've really got something here that is growing and is now almost consuming the American electorate. So it's one of those things, I know people get tired of listening to election process conversations and even tired about hearing January 6th, but you know, half the country still believes that Donald Trump won. They still believe that he should be president. And that's how effective this system we have in this country where you've got, you know, our media is obviously being captured, is the word to use maybe, by the mob or by international forces or by forces that are just not democratic. They have captured the media. They have now instituted these funnels of information which are just echo chambers of nonsense and lies that has brainwashed a large part of the population and then they've subverted from inside out our election system i mean it's such a i mean it sounds ridiculous actually when you say it out loud but that's exactly yeah. what's happened you know yeah. you've got thousands and thousands of people obviously engaged in an effort to destroy american democracy and they're doing it from all sides you know it's not just showing up by accident we're not suddenly seeing fox news become this purveyor of lies by accident. They've been told to do it and they're doing what they've been told to do. And they're pushing these lies and then reinforcing this fake narrative that people are building on the ground. And you know, you can't blame Americans in the red states for believing this stuff because where are they going to get their information from? They've been fed right. a diet of nothing but lies from the media. Right. And, you know, one of the other things you hear in terms of, you know, the build back better, like what Biden's, you know, agenda is, is to be able to provide broadband all over the place. Right. So people will be able to get information. So yes. the Republicans stopping the build back better program is stopping information from getting to where it needs to go. To, to your point, they could seek this information and see it. But if you're not on broadband, if you don't have internet connection, you're only, you know, sort of getting what they, mm -hmm. you know, the radio is telling you, quite right. frankly. I think a lot of information is coming through the radio. Think about all your community leaders, all your church leaders giving you one line of messaging. All your media is giving you the same line of messaging. You've got politicians giving you the same line of messaging. You're living in pretty... Um, you know, there's some diversity going on, but it's not as, as mixed as you would imagine. So you're not getting a variety of views. You're just getting your neighbors are all mostly look like you and, and talk like you and, and say the yeah. same thing. So you're not in any way, there's no hope for you to find information elsewhere unless you're just very inquisitive and you go onto Twitter or you go to these other places. And even then we're all kept in echo chambers, specifically right. kept within our own group. So we don't have this cross-pollination. So, you know, on Twitter, they are able to see what's going on in the right-wing echo chamber, and they're able to see what's going on in the left-wing echo chamber, and they're actually able to balance it out. So they might be playing as much a role in identifying you know, the confusion in this country and this polarization in this country by just playing with the algorithms. All you have to do is play with the algorithms. Yeah. So yeah. it's- uh, And to sort of bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, diversity matters, right? Mm. Visibility matters. Yeah. My heart kind of grew so much the other night because when this was announced about the Supreme Court picks, mm -hmm. I believe it was Joy Reid, she had a, a picture uh, on the screen of, of five potential candidates. Mm -hmm. I paused it, so my wife wanted me to pause the TV so she could take a picture of it because it meant that much. It means that much to be seen. And when you're seen, people get a different perspective. And when you bring a different perspective, people learn different things. Mm -hmm. And when you learn different things, you broaden your mind, you broaden your horizons. So these echo chambers that you're talking about, if it's just simply repeated things back, mm 
You're just making sure that you continue to fit in and that you continue to have your core sort of group around you that you feel comfortable with and that you're not ostracized from it because you're different. Mm -hmm. Well, being a part of a group that would ostracize you for thinking differently is not a group that you really want to be a part of. Right. So it's the only group when it's the only group you have and it's the only society you have and it's what you've known since you've grown up. You're not right. going to leave that. I mean, you just can't leave it because what are you going? Yeah. Where are you going to go? So you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for people in uh, in red states because I do feel Absolutely. a lot of them are captured. I don't Absolutely. think that they're bad people. I think there's a you know, if they're saying that Donald Trump should still be the president of the United States, that's because they have been captured. Their brains are not. They're not exposed to all the right information. They just are not, and they can't be. You can't hate those people for that because they just are not. Uh, that was true. really well said um, about uh, your wife and the story around the Supreme Court potential nominees. It, you know, this is what's freaking out white men in America is is that they've seen what it looks like when women come up, and they've seen what it looks like when gays come up, and they know what's coming when when you have equality with black people. And so you're gonna. This is so worrying to them because they know that they aren't actually everything they've been telling us. They're not right. the best in the world and not superior right. in any way. They're just like everybody else. Right. And you see it in sports. You see it in a lot of places where you can sort of see that, you know, that clearly they're not the best at a lot of these things. And that just makes, you know, the joy of having a black female justice on the Supreme Court is so important. I mean, you think about it more important than even having a, a black president in some ways because it's a lifetime appointment. Right. Um, they are, you know, that voice has never been heard in justice in, right. in America. It's never right. been heard. If right. you look down the line in every single court district in, in America, you don't right. get a lot of those voices heard. There's not a lot and, of black judges out there. And to imagine and that every, at the top, it's unbelievable. Every change. single time, mm -hmm. every single time people talk about justice reform, it's always about race. Every mm -hmm. time they talk about, you know, criminal reform or, or you know, any uh, police reform, anything like that, they always turn it towards race, but they're never talking to the people who would impact the most and, and now like you said if you have somebody up at the top and we're yeah. talking about a supreme court justice it's about justice if you can get somebody who can bring that perspective of all of the injustices that they've suffered mm. knowing that and, and i'll be frank with you it's an ancestral injustice mm. think of the strength that it takes just to be one of those five women that were potential mm. nominees think of what they've had to endure mm. if you're talking about somebody who is a black person mm -hmm. they're probably the only black person in their classroom at harvard law school mm -hmm. or yale law school or wherever they got to get their credentials to say that they're unqualified is ridiculous because they're qualified in two different ways they're educated but they also come from the pain of knowing what it's like to struggle and what it's like to suffer when you're the only person, you're the only representative. You know, systemic racism is so um, is so corrosive. And when we look at what's going on every day, we look at the systemic degradation of black people that's been going on, whether it's these ridiculous laws that are being passed that, you know, every one of them has a code that says, you know, black people are not equal to white people. They just, that's what they're there to do, to reinforce. We can't talk about race that makes white people feel bad. Um, we can't, you know, it's, it's, everything is designed to say black people are inferior. And the only way we overcome that is to bring people of color into these important positions of power because they will surely be better, if not equal, but probably in many cases better than the people yes. that we've had here before and create a sense of unity that is what America really needs. I mean, right. we're not going to achieve America's greatness if we suddenly split apart and create two different kinds of countries. We need to unify this country. It does mean we need to unify all of this country. We need to figure out how to unify the most extreme right wing and the most extreme left wing, but we need to get into a place where we're together and equal. And right now, for better or for worse, over the last few years, we've seen 
the worst of America. We've seen what it really looks like. America is probably as racist as South Africa under apartheid was. It just is. It just has, you know, might not have been called it. It might have had different things, but at the roots of it, there's a lot of racism. And this is our opportunity to overcome that. And there is really only one path. We've got to overcome it. And there's no going back. The idea of turning back the clock is not going to happen. It just doesn't work unless we're going to start becoming a, you know, I don't know, Nazi Germany. That's basically where you have to go, uh, which no one is interested in doing. So the only path forward is through this, and we need to create unity. And the way we do that is through people um, like appointing of a black female justice. Absolutely. And you've got people who are like originalists, right? Like you've got Ted Cruz, who's, who's you know, he's like a constitutional or, or an originalist, but they never seem to remember to try to form, you know, a more perfect union. So, right. so they miss that. It, it, it's forming, right? So you have right. to make it and a more perfect unit. So even yeah. if we go back to the original and from a founding perspective, the founder said, make this better, yeah. do more. Yeah. And we owe it to the next generation to give them the best that we could give them. I mean, if we hand over to the next generation, a system that is autocratic and has you know echoes of Nazi Germany in it, that is not our job. Our job is to hand the next generation a system that works, that is based on the principles that we were given. I mean, these are the same. That's the constitution that we're upholding. And no one in that House of Representatives should be in any way be allowed to support an insurrection or an overthrowing of that constitution. It just boggles my mind that they even sit in there, that they can do that and support this kind of illegal activity and do it so like openly. It's just... Zev, it's February and we've had multiple school shootings. Yeah. But they're banning books, not guns. Yeah. They're banning books. Good point. Very good point. Unbelievable. Um, I have to talk about Zucker because people ask me to talk about Zucker, but I do want to wrap up this talk about the giant conspiracy that we're talking about. What we're trying to outline to everyone here tonight is that there is many, many, many signs of conspiracy. In fact, there are many conspiracies and that they all connect, that it's impossible. You can't look at all these things, partly because of the same players partly because the evidence is there and partly because there's been so much good research done by people like Joe and everybody else that just shows us that there is a connection here of a vast, vast, vast right-wing conspiracy. I mean, it's not, we're talking about thousands of people and lots of money, probably billions of dollars, um, technology that is, you know, we can't even see or hear necessarily, but technology to mold the minds of Americans, the takeover of our media, the takeover of all these things um, to create a system that is allowed, you know, that is designed to destroy democracy in America. That is the objective. It's not to build an autocratic state here. It's designed to destroy democracy for the whole world and for people around the world forever. That's the goal. We are under attack and our system is under attack. You know, we have to repel that attack. We're still in the middle of repelling that attack. And until everyone in the country actually agrees on who the president is, we won't be through that. Right. Yeah. And you're right. We have to realize that it is an attack. We have to mm -hmm. first identify what it is so we can beat it. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to talk, because this actually does connect. And I think about Jeff Zuck, I don't think many nice things, but I do. Uh, and, and one of those things is that he's one of these sort of old traditional white men who's ruled the media in, in America. And today was a very significant day. Uh, and it's not covered in the newscasts anywhere. So I'm just going to bring it up here because God knows they won't touch it. But, you know, Jeff Zucker was the president of CNN for the last nine years resigned today. He resigned. And this is the note he sent everyone saying that he had, uh, had had a consensual relationship with his closest colleague, someone he had worked with for 20 years. He acknowledged that relationship. This is during the Cuomo investigation, but he was meant to do it. He was meant to disclose it, but he didn't. And he was wrong. As a result, he's resigning, he said. And then he came to CNN. And look at this date, January the 28th, 2013. 
if you look at you know, 2013 is where all the trouble sort of started. When you look at, when you look back at how we got here, I mean, how we got to the Trump years, boy, 2013 stands out. Uh, and there's Jeff Zucker taking over CNN. Together, we've had nine great years, he says. I certainly wish my tenure here had ended differently, but it was an amazing run and I loved every minute. Grateful to the thousands of incredibly talented CNN, yada, yada, yada. I wish each of you nothing but the best of the years with gratitude and much love. This is his note. This is the president of CNN. He doesn't talk about his viewers, doesn't talk about the stories, doesn't talk about journalism, doesn't talk about anything other than, you know, how grateful he is for having, you know, whatever tenure he's had there where he's really turned this country upside down and polarized this country. This is the same guy who gave, who ran NBC Universal in the years that Donald Trump Rand was on The Apprentice. This is the same guy who was his boss for all that time. So here's the guy who created the myth of Donald Trump for America, because that's really how America knows Donald Trump, who then gets allowed to take over CNN. How did that happen? I mean, that is just, you know, it's being moved. The ownership is now going to discovery. But up until now, we've had a situation where something has captured CNN and made it a very different kind of operation than it should have been. And that's something that had a lot to do with Jeff Zucker. He was meant to go years ago, but he didn't. I don't know how he survived in the job for the, for the last couple of years. But it's important that he was the guy, you know, CNN, who introduced Kushner um, to Kissinger. And, you know, Kissinger's a big part of all of this. It was at a Time Warner event in 2013, I think, somewhere around there, maybe 2015, 2015 probably. Uh, and that's um, maybe even 16. I don't quote me on the date, but it was it must have been 2016. That's where uh, Kushner was introduced to Kissinger and a lot of that influence campaign that landed up involving Dimitri Symes, that big meeting at the Mayflower, that all originated out of Time Warner in a meeting at Time Warner that Time Warner decided to host to have Kissinger, of all people, you know, who's got his problems, talk about these things. The problem with Jeff Zucker is he, well, let me talk about who this woman he's having an affair with. So he's described it as a 20-year colleague. She's not just a 20-year colleague. She's actually um, the governor's former spokesperson. She was there for four months. And this just tells you how interconnected everything is in this world of New York. Um, she was there for four months before returning to CNN when he took over CNN. But their relationship, she's his chief communication person, as he's been the executive producer of the Today Show and various other jobs that he's had throughout the years. She's been by his side as a chief communications person that he's having a relationship with. That is not just some accidental thing. That is you having a relationship with the chief communications person and nobody knows that, meaning the person who's hiding everything that's going on in the organization, the person who's not telling people the truth, is the person you're sleeping with and you're keeping that a secret because you don't want people to know. Everybody knew. So who was he keeping it a secret from? Uh, you know, it was sort of plainly obvious. What he's trying to do is, as Zucker and all these other big wigs at the media networks, which I've gotten to know well in my life, they surround themselves with people who can run the system, who can control the system and stop the messaging and stop the negativity. And then they create these fortresses. They're like mob fortresses. You know, if you work there, you follow the rules or you can't or you don't get your job. That's it happened to me many times. I was up for a job three, four times at CNN, three times I was really sure I was going to get it. And Jeff Zucker would kill it every single time. I don't know why Jeff Zucker doesn't like me, but I suspect it's because I'm not like him. And I, you know, I'm a journalist and I like to tell the truth. And he didn't like the fact that I was also a young executive producer of a morning show that did really well, like he was. He was a young executive producer of a morning show. But those are, you know, I don't want to read his mind. I just know he's not a big fan because every time I try to, everyone, someone in his organization put me up as the person to be hired, that would get uh, knocked back. And there was a whole Epstein thing that happened, which is, uh, you know, basically them catching and killing an Epstein story that I published um, where I revealed that Epstein worked for the Israelis 
they we were you know we brought the story to them gave them the story and then they killed it you know they paid paid a little bit of money but they killed it um that's how these organizations work we're talking about you know these people are capturing our media institutions and this, this is probably foreign money and probably foreign ownership that installed jeff zucker into that role that at the same probably the foreign money that probably helped install Donald Trump into the White House. That's the connectivity we're talking about here. There's a lot of money in these places that, you know, that have polluted our country. This is how it got polluted. This is how our system does not work. So we don't have an independent news media and we don't have a, a, you know, a real political system because it's so corrupt by foreign money that you know, this is how it has all been corroded. You know, and you add on top of that things like Citizens United. And you've got a country that is being, you know, is rotten because of all this foreign influence and this foreign money that's seeping into our system. And we really, really need to fight it. Like, this is not one of those things we can just let, you know, an iteration of what happens continue. We can't let another CNN president roll around who won't admit that, you know, Israel was a part of the election interference in 2016 and help elect Donald Trump. Or, you know, who won't admit that, you know, when, when Donald Trump announced that he was going to run for the presidency. Jeff Zucker immediately put him on CNN. And then he put him on CNN night after night after night. It was a joke. Everyone used to say that Jeff Zucker was Donald Trump's booker at CNN. That's how uh, Donald Trump became the president of the United States. It was because of the help of Jeff Zucker. And the fact that this man could walk out of there today with these billions of dollars of God knows how much money he's got, and it's probably some sort of um, you know, golden handshake to walk away, is now admitting that he is as you know, corrupt by sleeping with this woman for 20 years. I mean, whatever, I the relationship is whatever. But I, the fact that she was also a political operative in the way she was for the Cuomo's and that he then goes and hires Cuomo as the eight o'clock anchor for his network and then covers up this whole Cuomo investigation. I mean, it's just, you can see the rot. The rot yeah. is everywhere and it's in every yeah. network. You know, we have to get rid of the system because it's just, it's just so rotten. Yeah. So I am not uh, unhappy that Jeff Zucker is leaving today. I wish he'd left a lot earlier. I think we would have had a much better country had he left a lot earlier. And I really think that everyone in those networks, and you know who you are, who've been not reporting the truth, and you've done it because the same reasons that you know the Jeffrey Epstein story gets killed, it gets killed because it gets spiked by people in management who decide that that's not a story they can do because it's too hot. You know, it's this is your turn, guys. This is your turn to actually stand up and make sure that journalism returns to these networks. Americans deserve the truth. We deserve journalism. We, and you know, why have I been able to report all this stuff on a narrative that I couldn't do on uh, that these other networks did not report it? It's not because I'm a fantastic journalist. I'm a good journalist. I like to research and I like to do good stuff, but I, I don't have anyone telling me I can't do it here. But they have people there, they can't do it. And they have an institution which says that they can't do it. And then they get, they get the same echo chamber. And hey, everybody likes the million dollar salaries over there. They're not going to give that up. Why would they give it up? So, you, you know, hopefully some of you still have some morality some ethics involved and are willing to stand up and get the kind of leadership at these networks that is important. We need to have people who care about the truth and who care about a country. The, I'll just plainly say it. I mean, there is CNN is very pro-Israel. That seems to be where the money comes from. It's pro-Russia in terms of its Dimitri Symes connection there. You know, it's, it feels a little mobby. It feels mobby to me, CNN. And we need to understand that. Now, maybe under the new leadership, it'll feel different. But that's who's captured CNN, which is supposed to be the American News Network. And it's not the American News Network, because if it wasn't the American News Network, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. Thank you, Jeff Zucker. All right. <laughs> okay. I think it's, I should leave it there. Um, I'm not even going to ask you to comment, Joe, but you can if you want. Um, any, well, you know, you know, Zev, I, I think you're right. The truth needs to be explained. 
Mm-hmm. I think people need to stop, you know, like opinion news is, you know, entertainment, right? News is news. And we need to know the truth. And we they, need to have people tell us. It's not even that. What he did, what Jeff Zucker did, is he wanted the sports. He wanted to see sports in you. So he wanted the yeah, two sides. It was sports center. Yeah. Yes. So he was going to you know, create as much fighting as possible, polarize us as much as possible, bring as much, you know, crazy people from the right wing and, and crazy people from the left wing and have them argue with each other and gaslight each other to death every night in the news. And of course, you're going to get a country that, you know, is, is polarized because that's what you're feeding them. You're feeding them stuff that is making them you know, a polarized country and that's inciting anger and fear and frustration. And then of course you're going to get those clashes. Of course you're going to get people trying to show up on January the 6th and overturn an election. It's the job of the media to report the news. It's not the job of the media to, I mean, you can give opinion. I think you can give some opinion, but it's going to be based on facts. It can't just be blown out of proportion in these, this ignition of fighting and attacking each other. It's just, that's what the news has become in America. You know, it's just about lies and it's about fighting and it's about anger and it's about fear. And this is not a country that's been built on that. We're not, that is not America. America is not about fear. If anything, it's exactly the opposite. So we really, and that's, that's, that's why I think that there's an opportunity for them to course correct, like you said, yeah, and, yeah. and, and we have to look at those opportunities. And what I put out sort of in my thread today too, was all the things that we talked about tonight, right? Especially mm-hmm. what you've just said about CNN and what mm-hmm. they've done and, you know, uh, everything that we've talked about in terms of the vast conspiracy, if it angers you, mm-hmm. remember in November, when we get that opportunity to vote, remember what Ted Cruz said. Remember what John Kennedy said today. Remember that in November when you're mm-hmm. at the polls. Remember what the Republican Party did to help Trump try to seize power and remove our democracy. Remember in November, when you get that information about, you know, hey, we've got these false electors and it's gonna be, you know, we're telling you the Democrats are committing election fraud. Meanwhile, they're actually committing election fraud. Remember in November. And earlier, you know, right now, because there is also, you know, the nation's airwaves are not owned by the networks. They're owned by the people. We give it to them to use. In terms of taking action in your communities right now, you can take action today by going out and supporting the right candidates, by making sure that every single uh, district has a candidate in it. We have to fight everywhere around this country and by exposing to your friends and neighbors what the truth is. But the, the media is another opportunity for people. The local TV station that's feeding you all the garbage it's feeding you is not their local TV station. It's your local TV station. You're allowed to go up to the FCC and say, hey, I don't think this station is doing its job. Its job is to provide me with news, but it's giving me lies and disinformation paid by foreign propagandists. And I would like my news channel back. I'd like my news station back. And as a community, you can get together and get your rights back for the transmission towers and the transmission frequency. We're not talking about cable. We're talking about old school television. But that is the basis on which a lot of these networks are ultimately built. I mean, you start taking those away from these networks and oh boy there's nothing there left so you know there is a way for people on a local level to get at least the news portions of their local tv stations to do their jobs which is reflect their community and reflect the truth accurately that is the deal that um, communities have with the networks they get the networks if they provide local news to the stations, to the local communities. They're not providing local news right now. They're providing propaganda, really, just lies. And so there is something that people could do from that perspective as well. Um, Thank you for what you're saying about November, because right now, today is where everyone needs to start. And if we haven't yet, find a way to get involved in the elections. Find a way to sign up, to run, to do whatever you need to do. I don't think this election is done. Uh, I know a lot of people are saying that 
There's no chance that the Democrats can win the House. I think between now and November, the world can change. We've seen how the world changes every single day. And, uh, you know, there's no done deal. Polls haven't been very good at predicting elections up until now. And, that's, so. and, and hearing that over, like you said, hearing that over the airwaves, when you broadcast that mm-hmm. there's no chance for the Democrats to win, that's voter suppression right there. You're telling mm-hmm. me we don't even have a chance, so why bother showing up? No, 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 no. Don't yep. fall for that. Don't let them fool you. Get out there, register, and vote. Because yes. it will. We, there are more of us than there are of them. There are more there are. Americans than there are fascists. Exactly. That's exactly true. And we've seen it in the last elections. And I'm sure there are many, many more we just don't get to see or don't get to hear their real opinions because they're living in very suppressive uh, in red states. And I, you know, I, to me, it's, it's kind of weird to say it this way, but I think that the people living in those red states are, we need to free them. We need yes. to free them from this totalitarian system that they've been, that has been installed around them and is forcing them to act in the way they're acting and voting in the way they're voting. Because I, I don't believe that Americans are bad people. We don't have that. You know, that's not why people come to America. People come to America because they're good people and do care about the world and do good things. And therefore, we need to liberate those people that have been captured by the Republican Party and its foreign investors or who knows what else they've got uh, backing them. On that note, I'm going to say good night. Joe, thank you so much. As always, you do such exemplary work. If people don't follow uh, Dempsey2, you should. At Dempsey2, it's Joe's uh, amazing, amazing Twitter account. You put in hours and hours of work looking at every single one of these uh, court documents and connecting these dots in a way that is just so smart. And uh, I have to say that this connection between the Kraken affidavits and the um, actual people who put their names up as the full slate of electors that is such an important intersection. That is where the spokes meet, actually, and everyone needs to pay attention to that. Uh, so if you want to just say anything else about that or anything else, feel, feel free to do so. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate uh, those kind words. I really do. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, thank you for watching at home tonight. Didn't get as many questions as we wanted to, but uh, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll be back on Friday with the after show. Thanks very much for watching Narrative. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.